When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Kathy with a K. And I'm Kathy with a C. And here's to season three of Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Mount Lake Terrace, Washington. Mount Lake Terrace is a suburban city in Snohomish County, just 14 miles north of downtown Seattle along the I-5 corridor. It was founded in 1949 by real estate developers on the site of a disused airfield intending to provide low-cost housing for veterans. Within five years, the community had grown to over 5,000 people and was incorporated as a city in 1954. Real estate values continued to rise in this family-friendly community. It is known for its big mountain views, its convenient location, transportation connections, trails, and first-class schools. Within its four square miles, the city boasts 355 acres of recreational attractions, including parks and playfields. In addition, residents are offered an urban-suburban mix with a lot of restaurants, coffee shops, and retail areas. The city has succeeded in developing a community that is ideal for families and singles alike. But in 2000, one young immigrant trying to carve out her piece of the American dream in Mount Lake Terrace quickly discovered that the price of liberty was far too high. Most of our material for this episode came from the Investigation Discovery series Grave Mysteries, Season 1, Episode 4. Anastasia Solaveva King was born and raised in Kyrgyzstan, a former Republic of the Soviet Union, and she lived in the country's largest city, the capital city of Bishkek, which in 2000 had a population of about 800,000 residents. Although the country has about the same population as the state of Washington, it's three times its size in landmass. Unfortunately, many of its residents live in poverty. In 1998, then 18-year-old Anastasia joined a matchmaking service And Kath, do you remember they used to be called mail order brides? Oh, yeah. When men would send off responses to like magazine ads or newspaper ads. This is kind of the same thing, but for the Internet age. Right. Anastasia was intelligent, fluent in three languages, a talented pianist, and longed to see the world. Her parents, who were music teachers in Bishkek, wanted a better life for Anastasia than she would be able to get in Kyrgyzstan. So they supported her decision to join the matchmaking service. They also had a relative who had met married an American that way, and they had a happy marriage. So they hoped that Anastasia would experience the same and would get to live the American dream. Soon after joining the service, a 39-year-old man living in Mount Lake Terrace reached out to her via email. His name was Indel King Jr., and his email said she was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. He was highly educated, receiving his MBA from the University of Chicago, and was working as a part-time college instructor and an entrepreneur. Anastasia and Indel continued getting to know each other through email, and he was always very sweet, respectful, and romantic toward her. 
After a few months, he traveled to Kyrgyzstan to meet her and her parents in person, and Anastasia acted as their interpreter. He struck Anastasia's father as an organized, efficient man and impressed Anastasia's mother with his interest in classical music. They also liked that he was from a well-to-do family in Seattle. Her parents thought it was a great match. After traveling to Kyrgyzstan several times over the next few months, Indel invited Anastasia to visit him at his home in Mount Lake Terrace. She agreed and went to the United States, and after being there for a few weeks, Indel popped the question. Anastasia said yes, and they married at the local courthouse a few days later in April 1998. After settling in Washington, Mount Lake Terrace and the surrounding area became home to Anastasia King. She began taking business classes full-time at the University of Washington, also called UW, and worked as a hostess at McCormick's Fish House in Seattle. By the way, do you remember McCormick and Schmicks? I do. They had the best gorgonzola french fries you could ever, ever have in your entire life. That is what I remember about the place. Disagree. <laughs> oh, mama. Well, those I'm, are so good. You're a total good. cheesy person. Oh, I love cheese and potatoes. Yum, yum, yum. Anyway. <laughs> Gorgonzola. It was like a gorgonzola cheese sauce. I could have swam in it. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. All right, I'll keep going. Anastasia was able to make friends at work as well as at school, and it included expats from Russia and its former republics. But despite this, it had been a difficult adjustment. Family was everything to her, and being so far away from her family in Kyrgyzstan began to take a toll. To help get her out of her funk, Indel supported Anastasia when she said she wanted to spend a month with her parents. Because of work commitments, Indel couldn't go with her, but knew how important it was to her. Before she left, she took time off from her hostessing job, telling her manager, Patty Swaney, that she was returning on September 22nd. She also signed up for the fall semester at UW. Then, three days before she was scheduled to return home to Mount Lake Terrace, Indel showed up in Kyrgyzstan to surprise her. He said he'd been able to take a few days off after all and wanted to spend time with Anastasia and her parents in her home country. He'd even bought a new video recorder so that they could revisit the great memories they were going to make. He was the same sweet, romantic man her parents remembered. Just three days later, on September 22nd, Anastasia's parents dropped them off at the Bishkek airport for their long trip home. They had a short hop to Moscow before heading straight to Seattle. As was her custom, Anastasia promised to call her parents when she got home safely. On October 2nd, 10 days after Anastasia left Bishkek, Mount Lake Terrace Police Detective Julie Jameson received an unusual call. It was a call from Kyrgyzstan, and a man named Graham Sim said he was calling on behalf of Anastasia King's parents, who did not speak English. Mr. Sim explained to Detective Jameson that Anastasia had recently visited her parents and always called when she returned to the U.S., but they hadn't heard from her. Her parents had repeatedly called her in Mount Lake Terrace trying to get in touch with her, but she never answered. Mr. Sim relayed that Anastasia's parents were eventually able to get in touch with her husband, Indel King Jr., but they were shocked by what he told them. He said that Anastasia stayed at the airport in Moscow on their layover and did not accompany him on the plane home. But because of the language barrier, Anastasia's parents were still unclear as to why Anastasia was not home and why she hadn't answered her phone for the last 10 days. 
They were afraid something bad had happened to their daughter, and they asked Detective Jameson to look into it. Detective Jameson and her partner, Detective Sergeant Craig McCall, headed out to meet with Indle King at his home in Mount Lake Terrace. When they sat down with him, King told them that he didn't know where his wife was and that he hadn't seen her since September 22nd at the Moscow airport. He said he and Anastasia got into an argument and she told him that she didn't want to go home with him. She said she was going to stay in Moscow and just walked away from him. He told detectives that he then got on his flight and returned home to America alone and had not heard from his wife since. When asked what started the argument, King said he didn't know. He said they'd been going through a rough patch lately, but had patched things up before she left to go see her parents and had even talked about starting a family. It was during the course of the conversation with King that detectives learned Anastasia was a mail-order bride. King told detectives that after they were married two years prior, it only took a couple months before it felt like the honeymoon was over. He said that Anastasia suffered from depression and was very homesick, missing her friends and family. When she got a job at the restaurant and started taking classes at UW, she seemed to brighten up. But then she met friends who were her own age and would often go out with them instead of him. He felt like she was pulling away from their marriage. Although he wasn't initially planning on going on this most recent trip to Kyrgyzstan, King said he went because he wanted to surprise Anastasia with his romantic gesture. He said he hoped it would show her that he loved her and wanted to win her back. He told detectives that at the time, he thought it worked. He said they spent a lot of time together and had a great time, and he was even able to get a lot of it on video. It wasn't until they arrived at the Moscow airport that he realized his efforts had actually failed. Although King appeared sincere and was very open when he spoke about the problems he had in his marriage to Anastasia, detectives wanted to take a look around his house. He consented to a search of his house, and as she walked around both floors, Detective Jameson didn't notice anything out of place. As Detectives Jameson and McCall got ready to leave, they asked King if he could put them in touch with any of Anastasia's local friends. He told police that because she was from another country, she didn't have a lot of local friends, but gave them the number of a woman named Tatiana, who he said was Anastasia's best friend. He also told police about a tenant who rented a room in their house, a 20-year-old man named Daniel Larson. But he wasn't home at that time for detectives to speak with. After returning to the station, Detective Jameson first reached out to Anastasia's friend, Tatiana. She told the detective that she and Anastasia met at the University of Washington. The two had something in common. They were both mail-order brides from the former Soviet Union. Tatiana said the last time she had heard from Anastasia was right before she left for Kyrgyzstan. Anastasia told her she'd be back in the United States before classes began on September 25th. Tatiana told the detectives that when Anastasia didn't show up for class, she had a feeling she knew where Anastasia was and who she was with. She believed Anastasia was likely with a man named Sasha Sokolov. He was a Russian businessman who Anastasia met in Seattle several months before her trip to Kyrgyzstan, and Anastasia said she felt an instant connection with him. Anastasia, who had been homesick and depressed, told Tatiana that Sasha reminded her of her friends back in Kyrgyzstan and she enjoyed spending time with him and speaking Russian. He was all Anastasia had talked about for months. Soon after they met, they began having an affair and Anastasia told Tatiana they were madly in love. 
but Sasha still lived in Russia. They didn't see each other often, but according to Tatiana, when they did, they made the most of it. Yeah, that's what I was getting from that (laughs) statement, too. However, every time Anastasia returned home after seeing Sasha, a sense of hopelessness would set in. Tatiana told Detective Jameson that after the last time Anastasia saw Sasha, she went into a dark period and attempted suicide. After hearing Tatiana's account, detectives wondered if Anastasia chose to stay in Moscow with Sasha instead of coming home to Mount Lake Terrace. Then, just as detectives were wrapping up the interview, Tatiana gave them another big lead. She asked Detective Jameson if they had looked at the contents of a safe deposit box that Anastasia had opened at Washington Mutual Bank. Detectives now had two leads to follow up on. First, Detective Jameson requested a search warrant for Anastasia's safe deposit box. Then she focused on finding Sasha Sokolov. Detective Jameson sent an email to Mr. Sim, who was the friend of Anastasia's parents who originally contacted police on their behalf asking for help. In her email, Detective Jameson asked Mr. Sim if he could find Sasha, hoping that he could help determine if Sasha and Anastasia had run off together. Not only was Mr. Sim able to locate Sasha, but he also spoke with him about Anastasia. In Mr. Sim's reply email to Detective Jameson, he said Sasha confirmed that he had been seeing Anastasia for several months. However, he had not heard from her since she left Kyrgyzstan in September. With this information, Detective Jameson contacted authorities at the Seattle-Tacoma airport and requested a copy of the flight manifest. And Kath, as we've said, this is in 2000. So because this was before 9-11 happened in 2001, the flight manifest, the information at the airport, was in no way detailed, available easily, on the computer in a way that could be put together, any of that sort of thing. So when Detective Jameson had reached out to the airport authorities, they were like, yeah, 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 we'll have to get back to you. Not really sure how much we can give you. We're taking a cigarette break right now, buddy. Don't bother us. Exactly. That was exactly what they said. (laughs) But I'm going to get my secretary to transcribe it for you as soon as it's available. She's not transcribing it. She's printing it. You get over here because she had to pick it up herself. Remember? Oh, the detective? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, they weren't even going that far to have the secretary do the work. (laughs) She was on break, too. (laughs) As Detective Jameson waited to get this information from the airport authorities, she went back through her notes and remembered that Anastasia's husband, Indel King Jr., had mentioned that they had a tenant who lived with them, 20-year-old Daniel Larson. When she ran a background check on Larson, she discovered that he had a very extensive criminal history, especially for someone so young. One of his crimes in particular piqued her interest. He had been arrested and served time for first-degree child molestation. He was a convicted sex offender. Investigators reached out to Anastasia's friends to see what, if anything, Anastasia had said about Daniel Larson. She apparently had mentioned to her friends numerous times that she was very uncomfortable being in the same house as him, especially if her husband wasn't home. Although he had never done anything to her, he just sort of creeped her out. Detectives went back to the King house hoping Larson was there and that they could speak to him. When Indel King answered the door, Detective Jameson asked him why he didn't mention the fact that he had a boarder who was a convicted sex offender. 
King said he didn't think it had anything to do with his wife leaving him, so he didn't think it was important. King described their relationship with Larson as simply being landlord and tenant. Detectives asked King if they could take a look at Larson's room. King said he didn't think he was home, so it was fine. Go ahead and take a look. But to the surprise, Kath, when they went into Daniel Larson's room, they came face to face with a startled man standing in a towel who had just gotten out of the shower. (laughs) (laughs) He told detectives that he had been living with the Kings for several months. When asked when he last saw Anastasia, he said it was just before she left to Kyrgyzstan. When King came home without Anastasia, Larson said King told him that they had gotten into a fight and that Anastasia refused to get on the plane at the Moscow airport. Larson said he didn't have any personal knowledge of what happened. That was just what King told him. So, Kath, when detectives returned to the station, apparently break time was over at SeaTac Airport. Right. <laughs> because Detective Jameson learned the flight manifests were available if she drove herself down to the SeaTac security office. Because faxing was just too burdensome, apparently. <laughs> exactly. But she wanted these manifests because, of course, she wanted to confirm whether or not Anastasia was on the plane that left Moscow. As detectives went through the information, first they found Indel King's name on the flight manifest that showed he was on the flight that departed Moscow on September 22nd. And Kath, just to describe kind of what these manifests looked like, it was just a huge long list of names with a time next to it, which was basically when their ticket was scanned to get on the airplane. Mm. When they saw his name on the flight manifest, They noted that Anastasia's name was not anywhere around where his name was, meaning that she did not board the flight at the same time he did. But as detectives continued coming through these records, they did find her name. So now they knew she was on the same flight. But according to Detective Jameson on the episode we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, seat assignment information in 2000 wasn't something that the airlines tracked. So instead, she reached out to customs at SeaTac Airport and asked for a list of all the passengers who had cleared customs that day. Indel and Anastasia's names were both on the list, and they cleared customs one minute apart. Now Detective Jameson had said they were looking at two possibilities, right? One is, did Anastasia go to great lengths to not have Indel see her on that same plane? Anybody who's ever flown overseas, as you know, Kath, these planes are huge and have several hundred passengers on them. And if you're not in first class or even like business class, you're not going through that same door. It's been so long that I've flown overseas that they still had a smoking section. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I flew overseas about a year and a half ago. (laughs) But no, it's true. Like it is huge. There's tons of people. Yep. And we did not fly first class or business class. So we were in a back section. If It was like being at the bottom of the Titanic where you were. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? We weren't that bad. We really weren't. You weren't the Irish? (laughs) We weren't the Irish. We were the Germans. (laughs) We were a step above. (laughs) Now them's fighting words. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so it actually was possible if Anastasia tried to conceal herself, something like that. It could have happened. But then the other possibility, of course, was did King actually come home with his wife and he was lying to them? Right. While they pondered this question, they started following up on the other lead that Anastasia's friend Tatiana had given them, and that's the safe deposit box. After receiving a signed warrant from the judge, they went to the bank, and the first thing they learned was that the box had not been opened since Anastasia had left for Kyrgyzstan. When they opened the box, they found about $2,500 in cash, 
some jewelry, loose papers, and a journal. As they were looking through the items in the box, detectives made a chilling discovery. Inside the safe deposit box was a business card with writing on the back. It was in Anastasia's handwriting and written in English. It said, if anything happens to me, call Patty Sweeney, whose number is on this card. Detectives immediately tracked down Patty, who had been Anastasia's manager at the McCormick's Fish House, so that they could interview her. When they sat down together, Detective Jameson handed Patty the card and said, Do you know what this is about? Do you know what this means? Or do you know why she did this? And Patty's response was, What did he do to her? When the detective asked who he was, Patty responded, Indle. Patty was able to provide investigators with a lot of information about Indle King Jr. that they didn't know. Patty told police that King wasn't who he presented himself to be. He had represented himself to Anastasia and her parents as coming from a wealthy family, which he did, Kath. But what he didn't tell them is that he personally didn't have any money. He was broke and wasn't able to keep a job, which is why they had a tenant living in their house with them. And Patty said that after wooing Anastasia so sweetly over email, when they got married, King became controlling, domineering, and abusive. According to Patty, with the support of her friends, Anastasia started planning her escape and trying to get her visa without the sponsorship of her husband. She even planned the trip to Kyrgyzstan to get away from her husband and figure out what she needed to do next. But Patty told detectives that just a few days before she was going to return to Washington State and what she hoped was a new life, Anastasia called her in a panic and said, He's here. He followed me here. Kath, why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie. And even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. (laughs) (laughs) After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange, and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. Or crazy. A little bit. <laughs> so if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash killer D and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash killer D. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Although detectives only had circumstantial evidence, the information was substantial enough that they were able to get a search warrant for King's house. When they got to the house, they took several items into evidence, including the movies King had taken when he suddenly joined Anastasia in Kyrgyzstan. Detectives hoped it would help them reconstruct the days before she went missing. Then they found what was probably all they needed to put the nail in his coffin, King's computer. Forensic results from his computer showed detectives that he had actually been married once before to another Russian bride. Kath, they got divorced and King was required to pay her $55,000. So in these emails, they could see how pissed off this made him that he had to pay his ex-wife all this money. And he basically was railing on the fact that he believes she used him for a green card. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Duh. Anyway, he also felt the law unfairly favored women. In his communications contained in his computer, he expressed to numerous people that he would never let it happen to him again with another Russian bride. Another thing that the computer forensics showed was that starting a few months before Anastasia disappeared, he had already begun searching for her replacement. And while police didn't know if King was aware that Anastasia was trying to divorce him, they discovered that he was already taking his own steps. King filed for divorce and cited as his reason was that Anastasia was missing. The court document said that she lied about why she wanted to marry him. It wasn't for love. It was just for a green card. He also claimed in the court records that Anastasia was hiding from him to avoid being served with divorce papers and being deported by immigration officials. But in the divorce paperwork, detectives found their smoking gun. The documents were dated September 8th, two weeks before Anastasia disappeared. With King now their primary suspect, detectives set up surveillance on him. And over the next couple of days, they saw him go to the county jail on several different occasions. When they checked the visitor logs to see who he was visiting, they found out he was there to see Daniel Larson, his tenant. Larson had recently been arrested for sexually assaulting a 16-year-old co-worker at the mall. When detectives questioned Larson about why King was visiting, Larson said they talked about Anastasia, but insisted he didn't know where she was. According to an Associated Press article in The Olympian, Larson eventually admitted he did know where she was. He said after detectives had gone to King's home at the beginning of October and questioned him about where Anastasia was, King had driven Larson to the place where he'd buried her. He said he didn't come forward earlier because he was afraid King would try to implicate him somehow in Anastasia's death. Larson said King told him that he strangled Anastasia with a necktie placed her in a dog blanket, and then drove 20 miles north and buried her in a shallow grave. Larson said that King told him that before burying Anastasia's remains, he removed all of her jewelry and clothing and cut off her long blonde ponytail in an attempt to conceal her identity. Detective Jameson asked Larson if he would tell them where Anastasia was buried, and he said he would, but only if they took him with them. When they got to a heavily forested area about 20 miles north of Mount Lake Terrace, 
Larson got out of the car and led them about 100 yards from the roadway to an illegal dumping spot. Larson pointed to an area that had various forms of trash and debris on it and said, this is the spot. As police shined their flashlights to where Larson was pointing, they saw a human hand protruding from the ground. After moving the trash and uncovering a shallow grave, police discovered the body of Anastasia King. So, Kat, back at the station, the detectives were like, "Okay, is Daniel Larson as innocent as he is leading us to conclude? So they really put the screws to him. And ultimately, he admitted to detectives that King approached him a few weeks before Anastasia's trip to Kyrgyzstan. King said that he was going to follow his wife to Kyrgyzstan and purchased a video camera solely for the purpose of getting videos of himself and Anastasia looking all lovey-dovey before she disappeared. When they both arrived home after the flight from Moscow, Larson told detectives that King called him and said he and Anastasia had arrived and would be home shortly. This was Larson's cue to get a necktie and wait for them in the garage. When King and Anastasia got back to their house, King lured her into the garage. When she came into the garage, Kath, her husband held out his arms as though he wanted a hug. So she goes and she, you know, moves in to hug him. And then Larson comes up behind her, slips the necktie around her neck and pulls it tight. As Larson is doing this, and this is what he's saying to the detectives, King puts Anastasia in a bear hug so she can't move. When Anastasia started struggling, King pinned her to the ground as Larson continued to choke her for several minutes. And you know, Kath, Anastasia was described as being six foot tall in heels. So let's put her at five foot nine. Right. So she was still very tall, very thin. Her husband was five foot seven. But in what I read, he was everywhere from 270 to 290 pounds. So even though he was shorter than she was, he weighed more than twice what she did. Larson then told detectives the reason he helped King was because King told him that Anastasia knew Larson had a record and didn't like him and she wanted him out of their house. King told Larson that Anastasia was a threat to him and that he was going to be thrown out of the home and become homeless. And Larson told detectives he was afraid of being homeless. Kath, everything I read about this case, and I don't have sympathy for people who molest children, obviously. Nobody does. But when I read about Daniel Larson, I can't help reading between all the lines. He just seemed like he had an extremely low IQ. And we see that with a lot of these cases. Oh, yeah. And that's what's so tragic about it. I mean, like you said, they commit the crimes. There's no sympathy for that. Like personal responsibility is a big theme. Exactly. But you have somebody with a low IQ who becomes a puppet at the hands of a manipulator. Right. It's so sad. It's so sad. Justice is meted out in the afterlife. I agree 100%. And Kath, I didn't read anywhere that he had a low IQ, but no. but just like there's the vibe with what you read. Like, exactly. You know, it's anyway, you know how we make up things. <laughs> we like to speculate. We like to we speculate. We to do that. Exactly. But we're always right in our minds. We, <laughs> and doesn't that count for something? It damn it. It does. Where's the lie? <laughs> <laughs> Prove me wrong. <laughs> 
Endel King Jr. was arrested on December 29, 2000, just three months after Anastasia went missing. He was charged with first-degree murder and the death of his wife and pleaded not guilty. Bail was set at $500,000, and he remained in jail. After his arrest, King's defense attorneys Cyrus R. Vance Jr. and Jeffrey P. Robinson insisted he was innocent. In a statement, the attorney said, While it is natural for police to assume that the husband of a missing wife may be the suspect in the case, the facts will show that that assumption is incorrect. Now, for anybody who heard the name Cyrus R. Vance Jr., and you're like me, and you're either a history buff or you love politics, you'll recognize the name. Defense attorney Vance's father was Cyrus R. Vance, who served as Secretary of the Army under Presidents John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson, Deputy Secretary of Defense under President Johnson, and Secretary of State to President Jimmy Carter. His dad was a big dang deal. So here's what's funny. Kath is like, you know who Cyrus R. Vance is. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, come on. You've so heard the all name. of you out there who don't recognize the name, it's A-OK. It is A-OK. <laughs> only if you're OK with Kathy saying that. <laughs> I think you need to read more history books. <laughs> but if you knew who he was, you're my favorite. <laughs> no, you're just lame. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and now you know you're not because Kathy's the one who said that. <laughs> But anyways, really quickly, though, according to Vance Jr., he actually had moved to Seattle in 1988 because he wanted to build a name for himself away from daddy. Mm. I call him daddy. I don't think Cyrus Vance does. (laughs) Cyrus Vance, that's a direct quote, by the way. (laughs) But he actually went back to New York, which was where he was from. In 2010, he ran to be the district attorney for New York County which essentially is Manhattan. Right. And he served as Manhattan's district attorney for 12 years. Ah, so up until recently. Exactly, up until Ah, 2022. Interesting. Now, one other quick aside, as long as I'm doing this, there wasn't any follow-up to this, Kath, but one of the things I saw as I was doing research for the case, I'm not sure if you saw it, but just three weeks after King was arrested, so remember that was December 29th of 2000, court papers filed by prosecutors alleged that there was more to the story than even they had initially known. In an affidavit revealed by the Herald of Everett newspaper, Everett, Washington is a city that's close by. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) That wasn't for you. That was for everyone else. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Snohomish County Deputy Prosecutor Jim Townsend wrote that, quote, Daniel Larson has documented that his relationship with the defendant was romantic and sexual. One of the problems with the defendant's marriage was Anastasia King's discovery of the nature of that relationship, end quote. Again, I didn't see anything about this come up in any of the other newspaper articles or the court documents, but I just wanted to throw that out there, that it was there, it was a court document, and I don't know what happened to it. Yeah, no, I didn't read anything about that. Just one week later, Daniel Larson was charged with first-degree murder as well. Now, this is getting into some of Daniel Larson's history that we touched on briefly a minute ago. In an article in the Bellingham Herald by Paula Clausen, she laid out Larson's troubled history that dated back to elementary school when he spent four years in a mental health facility being treated for violent outbursts and setting fires. 
When he was 13, he moved in with family members in Whatcom County, Washington. His sexual offense history in the county began in 1994 when he was charged with molesting a developmentally disabled 16-year-old on a school bus. He was 14 at the time, by the way, when that happened. And so he himself was riding the school bus. Yes. Like you had said before, we didn't know what his IQ was. This implies that, that he, he had, was developmentally disabled. He had, Yeah, exactly. He had or, or had a lower IQ. Exactly. But that was never spelled out explicitly. Yeah. About a year later, Larson pleaded guilty to sexually molesting a five-year-old boy in the home where he was living. So obviously at that point, he's no longer with relatives. That's how I took that sentence anyway, or the stuff I was reading. Yeah, I did as well. After being sentenced to juvenile detention, Larson acted up numerous times assaulting adult supervisors. So now by the time he's charged, he's 20 years old and really has known nothing other than incarceration and mental health facilities. You're exactly right. On February 3rd, 2001, just a month after her remains were discovered, a Russian Orthodox memorial was held for Anastasia Soloveva King at St. Nicholas Cathedral in Seattle. Her parents, Alevtina and Anatoly, were in attendance for the one-and-a-half-hour closed casket service that was conducted in Russian. Her mother threw her arms around the casket and kissed the gold cross and religious icon that sat on top. Her father followed, and many others paid tribute the same way. Mount Lake Terrace Police Department detectives Don Duncan and Julie Jameson, dressed in uniform, attended the funeral as well. Eight months later, on October 16, 2001, Daniel Larson pleaded guilty to killing Anastasia King, saying he did so under threats of death and coercion from her husband. He entered a plea to second-degree murder as part of a plea agreement with prosecutors. As part of this agreement, Larson agreed to testify against Indel King when he went on trial for first-degree murder. King's trial began on January 16, 2002, more than a year after the body of his wife Anastasia was found. During opening statement, prosecutors said that he was a greedy man and killed his second mail-order bride Russian wife to ensure he wouldn't have to pay her money like he did his first mail-order bride. In the defense's opening statement, Cyrus R. Vance Jr. was no longer representing King. King had a public defender. Which means either he wasn't getting paid or he did it for short-term notoriety. In the defense's opening statement, defense attorney David Allen said that Larson acted alone in killing Anastasia King. He said Larson killed her because he believed she wanted him out of the house, thought she had been unfaithful to her husband, and because he disliked immigrants. During Daniel Larson's testimony, he took jurors through the same story that he told police detectives about how King killed his wife and buried her body. He testified that he did it because King told him if he didn't help him kill Anastasia, King would bring Anastasia into their bedroom, shoot her and kill her, and then he would shoot and kill Larson. Now, Kath, another prosecution witness who was brought in was a woman named Misha Galligan, and she actually testified kind of in support of Larson's argument about why he did what King told him to do. Ms. Galligan testified that King constantly yelled at Larson, called him names, and threatened him. 
She told jurors that King would threaten to get a gun and shoot Larson, which made him cry. Ms. Galligan then told the jury that Larson was a quiet man who kept his head down a lot, and when Mr. King told him to do something, he acted like a little puppy dog and did as he was told. Getting back to the safe deposit box, a lot of that evidence came in at trial. As you know, detectives found a journal in the safe deposit box and it was written in Russian. So they sent it over to the university for someone to translate. And this journal was essentially a log of all the abuse that King inflicted on Anastasia. Also in the safe deposit box, there were letters written in English between Anastasia and an immigration attorney. In her letters, Anastasia explained that she did not want to stay with her husband and asked if there was any way she could extend her visa without her husband being her sponsor. She mentioned in these letters that she wanted to continue taking classes at UW and get her degree. Also, in a letter to the immigration attorney, Anastasia requested a recommendation for a good divorce attorney. And she also requested that the immigration attorney not let her husband know that the two had been in contact with each other. Detectives also uncovered a letter from the immigration attorney to Anastasia, letting her know that her request to stay in the country without her husband's sponsorship had been approved. She would soon be a free woman. This whole safe deposit box thing reminds me of Nicole Brown Simpson. You know what's funny is the conversation that Anastasia had with her friend Patty reminded me of Nicole Brown Simpson. Oh, really? Well, yeah, because she was like, he's here. He's here. And do you remember the 911 call oh, the from 911 Nicole call. to police where she said, he's here. He's back. And they're like, who's there? And she's like, you know who I'm talking about. Exactly. You know, something That's like that. That's what reminded me of it. So what about the safe deposit box reminded you? In her safe deposit box, if I recall correctly, Nicole Brown Simpson had a Polaroid photograph of herself with bruises on her face. You're exactly right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and I, I don't remember what else was in there, but it was so like, oh. It was such damning evidence. Totally. In a surprise move at trial, King took the stand in his own defense. On the stand, King told jurors that he did not kill his wife nor did he help anyone else kill his wife. He acknowledged that he lied to police about her whereabouts, but said, and this is a quote, I lied. That's not first-degree murder. During his testimony, King broke down several times in front of the jury as he read a long letter that he had previously written about his troubles and his marriage to Anastasia, whom he called my princess. He told the jury, if I'm guilty of anything, it's perhaps being an American male in search of a wife and mother. All I wanted was love, respect, and children. And you know what, Kathy, is funny is that one of the things that Detective Jameson said was that, remember these videos that he took when he made his surprise visit to Kyrgyzstan right. to show how lovey-dovey he was with his wife? The detective said that in watching those videos where he was hugging her and trying to kiss her, she could see on Anastasia's face that she was repulsed by him every time he touched her. On February 21st, 2002, after a five-week trial, the six-men, six-women jury deliberated for five and a half hours before reaching a verdict. 
guilty of first-degree murder. And Kath, he was also found guilty of witness tampering because at some point before trial started, he had tried to pay a friend to give him a false alibi, and he had tried to pay Larson to admit that he did it himself. Oh, good Lord. It's hard to be the smartest man in the room. It really is. <laughs> it really is. Anastasia King's parents, Alevtina and Anatoly, were in the courtroom throughout the trial. After the trial, her mom said through a translator, wickedness, wickedness. To this time, he considers himself to be the wisest, the strongest. To this moment, he fails to understand the pain of another. He has not repented. Let God give him a road to follow that will bring him to repentance. I really like that quote. I know, that's a good one. On March 28th, 2002, Indel King Jr. was sentenced to 28 years and 11 months in prison. At his sentencing, King told the judge, I absolutely fully accept the verdict of the jury. I don't want my family to be affected by me. I'm assuming he meant his wealthy family. That's exactly what I was assuming, too. And Kathy, as a result of Anastasia's death, legislation was passed that would help others who followed in her footsteps. Two days prior to King's sentencing, Washington Governor Gary Locke signed into law legislation, which was the first of its kind in the nation. It requires mail-order bride companies and other international matchmaking organizations to give brides-to-be the criminal and marital histories of their prospective Washington spouses. Four years later, in January of 2006, President George W. Bush signed federal legislation to protect mail-order brides against fraud. Two members of Congress from Washington State had introduced the legislation after the deaths of Anastasia and another woman, Susanna Blackwell. Both were murdered by men whose proposals had promised the American dream. As signed into law, the measure provides safeguards and information for women who come to America from other countries to marry Americans. They are provided in their native languages with a document outlining their rights in the United States under immigration law, as well as domestic violence statutes. Prospective brides are also made aware of any criminal records. To this day, Indel King Jr. and Daniel Larson are still serving time in prison. Okay, so how many of you have signed up for Patreon? I don't see a lot of hands up right now. I'm not seeing any. <laughs> but I will tell you that we are about to do a live chat with our Patreon folks at the $10 level or higher. That's right. So if you want to chat with us, because we are so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> if we do say so ourselves. <laughs> and we do all the time. <laughs> Sign up. We'd love to see you there. We'd love to chat with you. We'd love for you to hear the episodes that we've done. And another bonus episode is coming up in the next week. That's correct. It's going to be great. Hope you all are having a great start to 2024. Mm -hmm. Let's make it even better with Patreon. Boom, girl. <laughs> shameless plug. <laughs> Seriously, we all hope you're doing well. Can't wait to see what the new year holds. Exactly. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.